I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. I'm here today with Juanita Hendrickson, who is the Vice President of Human Resources at Teradata. Juanita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Romy. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about you and your career, what you do, and how you ended up doing this? Sure. Well, uh, currently, I'm the Vice President of Human Resources with a focus on organizational development, learning, and inclusion and diversity at Teradata. And I happened into this role via a a unique path. I, I started my career early on in human resources as an executive recruiter and then moved into um, a role where I built an HR organization and a department from ground up, moved into other roles outside of HR in order to strengthen what I could do within the HR focus and framework. So I moved into corporate development where I did mergers and acquisitions and target identification and outreach for acquisitions and partnerships. I also did a lot of work relative to um, integration, integrations of some of the mergers that we had, process improvement, design, et cetera, um, for the business integrations that we did. From those experiences, I moved back into human resources and ended up becoming the business partner relationship liaison with our business leaders and could help them really evolve their talent strategies, their people strategies, and their business strategies in order to optimize what we could do with our team members and how we could enable their success, which ultimately led to making it more successful as an organization. And so that carries me really to this new role that I've taken on um, about a year and a half ago. I started a new role, something that I hadn't done before, uh, had really very little training in it other than um, intrigued and interested. And it has been uh, the delight of my career to learn something new and to, to step into it. It's been lovely. I love that. Well, you're definitely not afraid of learning new things and taking on new challenges. And it explains why you've had such a successful career. I'd like to talk to you about gender in the workplace. And I think you'll have a particularly interesting perspective because you've been outside, you've been a recruiter, you've been inside in HR, and then you've been in the business. Can you talk to us about how gender's played a role for you? And how do you see opportunities for more women to achieve more positions of leadership? Great question. I think that gender has played a role in my career. And in in some ways, when it has played a role, it has served as a learning platform for me to stretch beyond the gender and such that it's not limiting, if you will. Um, two, Two really specific stories. As I mentioned, I started my career in human resources focused on the executive recruitment side. And I was working with a firm, a a small organization in Santa Barbara that I did some high level searches for. And the CEO and founder at the time um, said, you know what, We, we don't have an HR department. We haven't had an HR department. I'd love for you to consider coming on and, and being the head of HR for us and building this organization. And I spent almost 15 minutes going through verbally with him 
all of the reasons why I felt that I was not the best fit for that role. Because in my mental model of what was required for that, I didn't check all the boxes. But you checked them enough for him. Yeah, that's it's right. Against yourself. That's right. And, and, and that's exactly what he said. He said, actually, I'm pretty sure you're, you're going to figure it out. And I want to take a risk in that. And I think you have a fire in your belly and I'll learn and let's just do this. And so I did. And it was a wonderful experience. And then the second important story. And he was a great sponsor. Absolutely fabulous mentor and sponsor. In fact, another example where gender, I think, influenced how I presented or how I thought about things was as I built that department and we grew fabulously and fantastically quickly, I realized that what I had started to do and what I was being paid for, my contributions were more. And so I wanted to ask for my first ever raise in, in my career. And I went into him almost apologetically and bashful and asked for a raise. And he actually said no. But what he did, which, is, which was such a gift, is he said, I'm not going to give you a raise today. I want you to come back tomorrow. And I want you to outline why this organization is different because of you. I want you to outline the contributions that would not have been made had you not been here. Make the business case for your raise. Make the business case. And so I did the next day and he was quite gracious and, and compassionate. And um, I ended up getting 50% more than I ever thought I would even think to request. But it was a really important lesson in that I inadvertently muted the accomplishments that I had had. And we should never be bashful about claiming those accomplishments and claiming those contributions because they're important. And if we don't, who will? Exactly. We have to make sure they're seen. Right. Exactly. That's so interesting. So obviously this man has been incredibly helpful. Were there others along the way and women who were helpful to you in your career? Oh, absolutely. I think I have been fortunate to have strong women who are not bashful about speaking their truth, who aren't bashful about providing guidance or insights, um, who are committed to being generous in help and support um, with this underlying theme of let's make all boats rise, if you will. There, you know, certainly those have been helpful, but mostly because they have been discreetly interested in what can I do to help you? How can I best support you? I love it. So let's pivot a little to talk about leadership. What do you think defines a great leader? I think that, there, and there's so many different varied answers and opinions about this. So let me, let me just speak to some of my favorites. And it's not all inclusive, of course, but I think that really great leaders are fabulous talent scouts. They are great at looking at and thinking through the, the configuration of their teams and the composition of those that they surround themselves with so that not everyone needs to be the same or like them, that there's a complement and an additive nature to those that they surround themselves with. Really impactful leaders for me have been ones who can nurture the unique strengths and the value that each individual can provide and can call that and activate that, whether it's small or big ways. And then finally, I think great leaders are the ones who look beyond the loudest in the room, the squeakiest in the room, and are really listening to all of the opinions and have gotten those opinions and discerned with that insight and the input 
can discern the best path forward, but within partnership, not as they're out front only, but they're almost behind the scenes and not seen. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's a very unusual perspective, I think, to think about leadership as being all about activating talent. How do you identify? How do you inspire? And then how do you kind of suss out the hidden gems? (laughs) I love that. So I'm talking to you, it's June 8th. We are now just rounding up almost two weeks of protests in the wake of the brutal murder of George Floyd. And so I'm interested to ask you about leadership in this time. How can Mm. corporate leaders and companies support the Black Lives Matter movement? How can companies support employees who are feeling upended and concerned and nervous right now? Oh, that's a great question. There's so many ways that leaders and organizations can support. I I think that the, the present situation has revealed, I think, to many who perhaps previously didn't believe they were contributing to the persistent kind of crest and fall of sustained, durable, systemic racism And it's revealed to them that it may not simply be enough to just say that I'm not racist. And I think Ibram Kendi, you know, he speaks to this in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And this heightened awareness, I think, for many has really solidified that to truly eradicate institutionalized racism, it requires action and unyielding persistence and mobilization so that you're confronting this head on so that we can ultimately destroy it. And I think in that is the way that leaders and organizations can best help and support. And so what can an organization do? First and foremost, I'm not an expert and can't proclaim that we do this perfectly, but the first thing organizations and leaders can do is reject the need to get it perfect. You know, there's not a perfect recipe or formula that that's going to solve this for our employees and for our colleagues and for our communities. There's no perfect response. There's no perfect statement. There's no perfect language to use. What is imperfect is when we don't action out of fear that we might make a mistake or that we might say the wrong thing. We might not do it right. And that that simply is not okay because the first thing that organizations need to do is they simply need to keep trying. They need to try. They need to start. They need to create the dialogue and create the opportunities. Now is not the time to be tentative. That's a great way to say it. I love that. I love that. And in that, by not being tentative, we also need to check and ensure that we have endurance for the long haul because this is more than a moment. Yeah. And, and for many, this isn't new, right? And they don't necessarily trust that even with some of the more recent energy around the topic, that things will get better. They've, they've lost a bit of hope and they're weary. And so organizations and leaders need to be really in tune to and listening to those that are weary, who need our help and support. So an organization's endurance and commitment in order to lift up our most tired and weary team members and colleagues, in order to support those who are trying to learn more about the topic to be better, That's what organizations need to do. They need to keep going. They need to keep trying and not be tentative. I'll use your words. That's a perfect word. That's very inspirational, the way that you articulated it. 
I'm going to pivot a little now because we are also coming off of another crisis. I think I'm in week 13 of working from home. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about you and work-life balance and how you practice work-life balance at any moment and especially now. I think so many of us are evolving through this in this unique situation. Um, What has been particularly useful and at the forefront in my thinking is that work-life balance is uniquely defined. It's not monolithic. It's not the same for every person. And we all do this in different ways first. But second, we're all facing this situation with very, very unique dynamics. And they're not the same. So we have spent some time here at Teradata and as we think about our team members talking a lot about well-being and what we value about well-being and how important that is, that it's okay to step away from the computer. It's okay to tend to a loved one or a family member or even the well-being of yourself if you need it. It's okay for the child to be in the background, maybe wanting, you know, a parent's attention or for Um, a family member to be in the background. It's okay to hear the pots and pans banging and it's okay not to be perfect because it's not perfect. We can't do, there's no perfect way to do something like this. But I was just on a call the other day and someone's son was, you know, talking and he wanted his mama's attention and, and she apologized. And I, and I, I very pointedly said, please don't apologize. It's okay. Because this is this is the world we live in now. So I think the work hard though. I, it feels like I'm not being professional. Yeah, and we, as I think women in particular, we carry that so close as a kind of a badge of honor. And yet, by navigating through this, we are doing something that is superhuman. So we just got to give ourselves grace and and be compassionate with each other and take care of ourselves. Like the airlines say, put your own face mask on first so that you can be a helper to others. Yeah, so it's there's not a magic formula. The other thing that we've been really in tune to is it's being quite pointed in our culture and in as we dialogue with our team members about what are the things that we innately do or maybe have unconscious biases to that might be impacting how we're perceiving other situations. The examples we are using are things like, if I have a colleague that doesn't have children, am I unnecessarily or unfairly thinking they have it easier? If we are returning to the office or children are returning to schools or daycares, do we presume that it will magically get better? Or that that parent or that caregiver won't worry any longer about that situation. You know, it will just create new opportunities of things to worry about. I I tell the story about my daughter is um, just misses her friend. She's a teenager. She's missing that contact with her friends. My son, he's 16. He's wonderful. And yet my husband and I kind of joke that he might be enjoying distance learning a little too much, you know. And so think about when they go back to school. My worries will be around how they're feeling in their new environment. It's going to be different. It won't mean that I'm worrying any less. And so it's, we've been conscious about raising those unconscious biases that we might have or unconscious thoughts that we might have that might be influencing how we engage and how we interact with our team members, what we ask them to do, how late we ask them to respond, you know, those kinds of things. We need to be sensitive and alert to those things and guard against those things. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to pivot into our fun questions, our fast five. 
Nita, what is your favorite karaoke song? Uh, well, I grew up in the Midwest um, on dairy farms where there were often more cows than people. And so we listened a lot to country music. So I would say any karaoke song that has Johnny Cash in I'm a fan. Um, bring a fire. Bring a fire. Going to Jackson. <laughs> yeah, those are all good ones. <laughs> Thank you. Going to Jackson. Yeah. What is your favorite way to practice self-care? Uh, meditation. I am hooked on the Peloton meditation apps. Uh, they help me sleep. They help me recharge. They bring a sense of calm when things feel like it's not a time for calm. And so that's my number one go-to. Love that. And I could do use some more of that. <laughs> Who is one person dead or alive you'd like to have dinner with? My grandpa, Al, his, his full name was Alphonse Thielen. And he was the type of person where for my whole life, when you would run up the stairs to their house, he would greet you with the warmest hug and make you feel like you were the most special person he had ever met in his whole life. And uh, for just a moment, I would love to share a meal with him again. That's so nice. Yeah. What book has had the greatest impact on your life? Great question. And I'm going to speak to something quite recent because it, it has made me pause in my tracks. And it is the one I mentioned earlier, which is um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. It's been quite uh, catalyzing for me and for our family. Yes, great. So at Fairy God Boss, to your point about your story about accepting your job and asking for a raise, we recognize that women aren't great about bragging about ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to lead by example and put you on the spot, Nita, and ask you to brag. I love that question, and I think I'm going to start to ask that of people I work with. It's a great segue into giving permission to shout it out. It's a muscle, right? If we yes. Practice it, we have to practice using that muscle. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think if, if I had successfully eradicated the squirrels from my tomato garden this past weekend, I might have actually said that. <laughs> that didn't happen. So I'll go with what really is um, the most significant success is uh, my husband and I have just these two most amazing children who are kind, they're compassionate, they are helpers, and no matter what they do, those core themes are going to serve them well, serve our world well, and I'm just um, delighted and tickled to be a part of their journey. Well, I have a suspicion where they may have gotten that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. It's so sweet. So to close, I'm going to ask you to share one last piece of advice with our audience, group of ambitious, engaged women who want to advance their career. What is one thing they should take with them? I think the one thing that has served me well and that I share with many that I mentor is this. Don't be afraid to take a risk and do something that makes you uncomfortable. So this role that I spoke about where I learned something completely new and worked in a plasmapheresis facility, there were many of these jobs around, um, but just in different locations. And I interviewed and was turned down twice before the third time I, I was afforded the opportunity. And I kept at it. And I, I didn't let the fear of rejection or the fear of not knowing that 
I wouldn't know how to do it, that I, that I couldn't be successful. So that's one piece of advice. I think the second is how you respond to events can lead to opportunities. And what I mean by that is when I, when I was the same company, when I was eight months pregnant with our son, Jack, um, my husband was working on his PhD. He was not working outside of that. And so not bringing in any money. I was the sole breadwinner. And the organization decided to close that facility that I was leading. And the individuals that my team lost their jobs and my job was eliminated. And so here we are, I was eight months pregnant and had about eight weeks of transition to close that facility, but there was nothing that was going to let me not show up and do my very best in that closing, even amidst the circumstances. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't, you know, we had a baby on the way, didn't know how we were going to make money. But it was because of how I worked through that transition and how I showed up, they offered me another job, another opportunity with the organization and actually moved me to another location that ended up being one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And it's an important story. Yeah. And so it's just, just, we choose how we show up, right? And how others are perceiving us. Just when you thought the road had ended, it turns out there was opportunity that you didn't know about. Oh yes. And those were, those were some dark times, but we worked through it. We made it. Wow. What a great story. What a great, and just, and pitching in, filling in the, the holes, right? There was work that needed to be done, filled in and that was valued. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was fortunate and, uh, but it's a great question. And I, I hope more people ask those questions to others and, and ask, I hope I encourage everyone who's listening, ask anyone, you know, for advice. Don't be bashful. Yeah. Yeah. Nita, it has just been lovely spending time with you and feel inspired and I feel um, elevated by the conversation. So thank you for being with us today. Well, and thank you for what you have done. And I'm so, so happy to be a part of your journey as well. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.